What is up? Good to see you guys tonight. How's everybody? Man, it is good to be in the house. New Life Friday night. If you're new with us uh, tonight, my name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor of New Life East, and it's a joy uh, to be with you. Uh, guys, I have like really uh, important news to share with you tonight. The lilacs are blooming. Oh. The icy hand of winter is retreating. A great shadow is departing from our land. Jesus is raised from the dead. The spirit is being poured out. All things new. Hallelujah. And I'm really sorry if you're a person that likes winter. But you're wrong about that. You shouldn't like winter. Winter is a reminder that sin and death still reign in our world. And you're not supposed to have a good relationship with it. Happy that the weather is warming up, as you can tell. Hey, we're uh, in this series called Who is God? Talking about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And here at Friday night, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. Pastor Jade was with us last week, and uh, he began to share a little bit about who the Holy Spirit is and how we engage the presence of the Spirit. And uh, so when you think about uh, the story of Scripture and kind of where we are, actually, in the church calendar, the story of Scripture really culminates with the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And so you have the revelation of God in the Old Testament. All of a sudden we get to the Gospels. Now we have the Word made flesh, makes his dwelling among us, the person of Jesus of Nazareth. So we see the second person of the Trinity who dies and is raised to life again. He ascends to the right hand of the Father. And after 50 days, 50 days after his resurrection, the Spirit is poured out and we enter this kind of new era of the history of the people of God where the Spirit is what is happening in the world. Robert Jensen, one of the great theologians of the 20th century, says that when the Spirit shows his face, the church appears. And so we are here because the Spirit has been poured out. And this movement through salvation history is actually reflected in the creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. First stanza, second stanza. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, right? And then it culminates with the third stanza. We believe in who? The Holy Spirit, The Lord, can you say it with me? The Lord, the giver of life, I love that, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified, and he has spoken through the prophets. I love that. And so what I want to do tonight is just think just the tiniest little bit about what it means to say that the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. Spirit is always already bound up with whatever is happening between the Father and the Son. And I want to show you that tonight. And I also want to talk about what happens when we begin to access that reality, the reality of the Spirit who proceeds from the Father and the Son. I'm going to be in the book of Acts chapter 1, and then I'm going to jump around just a little bit. So if you have Bibles, I'll invite you to turn in them to your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, you have a smartphone. That means you have hundreds of translations of the Bible. So you can do that. And if you don't have either of those things, it'll be there on the screen, so you're going to be fine. Let's slow our hearts down for a moment and welcome the divine presence. We say, Lord, have your way. Lord, have your way. You love us more than we will ever know, more than we could ever say. Paul says, if God is for us, who could be against us? And God is for us. The whole weight of the divine being is working for our good. Every moment, every moment, 
in every place, in all of the spaces that we occupy. The divine presence has gone with us and it's leading us to a good end. And I'm praying that you would help us trust that tonight. I'm praying that you would help us see the face of God tonight. I'm praying that you would help us open ourselves up more to God. We have only just begun to taste of the living God. And even if we've been in this for 60 years, we've walked with you our whole lives, we have just scratched the surface of God. The psalmist says, deep calls to deep and the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers they have swept over. And me, I'm praying that tonight we would be submerged in God and that we would find that to be the best place for us to live. So come, Holy Spirit, we pray. Lord and life giver, have your way. Reign over us, give us life, convert us, transform us, mold us into the image of the Son of God. We're asking tonight that the words of the preacher's mouth that the meditation of the hearer's hearts would be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, Acts chapter one, starting in verse four, the scripture says, on one occasion, while Jesus was eating with them, so Jesus, (laughs) it is kind of funny actually, Jesus is raised from the dead, sin and death have been defeated, He does not live by natural life, but he lives now exclusively by the very life of God. And you would think that at that moment, the resurrection from the dead, you know, like the curtain would drop and roll credits and they would all live happily ever after. And instead, Jesus is raised from the dead and he like kind of dinks around for 40 days with his disciples just doing whatever and like like eating with them. You know, like at one point, he actually goes to his disciples And they're like astonished that he lives and they're looking at his hands and his feet and he goes, do you have anything here to eat? And why does he need to do that? But I do think it's actually a clue into what Jesus is like. That he reigns over all things and yet he takes space and time for friendship. He enters into our spaces and he creates communion with us. And so on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. He said, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift My father promised, which you've heard me speak about, for John baptized you with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with or baptized in. I like in a little bit better. You'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord and all God's people said, thanks be to God. Jesus says that John baptized you with water But in a few days, like just wait, I'm about to ascend to the right hand of the Father, but just wait, stay in this place, because in a few days what's gonna happen is you're gonna be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You'll have an immersive experience of God that is unlike anything that you've ever had before. It's an immersive experience in the person of the Holy Spirit. And so now the question immediately, I think, is raised in a lot of minds, like, okay, that's great, an immersive experience of the Holy Spirit, but like, What are we actually talking about when we talk about the Holy Spirit? And for many Christians, I find uh, the Holy Spirit is like sort of the most vague of all of the notions of the members of the Godhead, you know? Like God the Father, like I can wrap my mind around that, you know? That there is this divine, heavenly dad figure in the sky who reigns powerfully. That like kind of makes sense to me. So God the Father, I kind of like get that. And 
then we move on to God the Son. And that would be kind of a weird notion for us. Like, God has a kid? Really? <laughs> but we have the historical record of Jesus of Nazareth in the Gospels to look at. And so we have an idea of who Jesus is. We go, oh, okay. So healing the sick and raising the dead and cleansing lepers and authoritative teaching. And he's good and he's kind. Like, like Jordan was saying, Zacchaeus, I got to stay at your house today. Come on in. And it's this kindness that leads us to repentance. And so God the Father, I think we can wrap our minds around and God the Son, the person of Jesus. I think that's also even a little bit easier to wrap our minds around. But then we get to the Holy Spirit. And we're a little bit like, I don't, what even? Like kind of, do we have to with the Holy Spirit, you know? And I remember, you know, I'm born and raised in the, in the church. I grew up in a Pentecostal charismatic church. And so, well, that meant that all bets <laughs> were off, like at all times. And I, seriously, in my mind, the Holy Spirit was like responsible for like kind of the everything else that happened in Christianity that you couldn't quite make sense of, you know. So people speaking in tongues, it was like, that's Holy Spirit, you know. And people doing holy laughter on the floor, and you're like, that's Holy Spirit. And somebody giving up, getting up and giving a weird end times prophecy, you are like, Holy Spirit. And so like the Holy Spirit was just responsible for like all of the bizarre stuff that was a little bit take it or leave it, you know. And I honestly, when I got to 19, 20, 21 years old, I got to a point in my faith where I was like, God the Father, that makes sense. God the Son, I like that. And I'm wondering if instead of Holy Spirit, we could do more like Holy Bible, you know, and have that be the Trinity, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Bible. And just leave, leave the Holy Spirit alone because that's all a little bit kind of murky for me. And I do think that a lot of Christians, that is their way of thinking about the Holy Spirit. Like, oh, I'm just not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I want a relationship with whatever that is because I can't trust it. And when you read the scriptures, the scriptures actually give us some really good handles for thinking about just what the work of the Spirit is. Here's Paul in Romans 5 and verse 5. Paul says this. That hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts. How? Through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so in the mind of the Apostle Paul, the first work of the Holy Spirit is to put us in touch with the love of God. I would say it like this, that to know the Spirit is to have encountered the love of God. Everybody say the love of God. The love of God in person. That the Holy Spirit is not some abstract force. And he's not just kind of this vapor floating around. But the Holy Spirit is the personal love of God that comes to us and begins to change our lives. I remember one of the first times I encountered the presence of the Holy Spirit. I was in fourth grade and we had this um, lady that was a part of our church um, in those years. Her name was Ola Zagarek. Ola was in her 70s or so, that first time, you know, when I was starting to get to know her, and she had walked with Jesus for a long time, and she knew the Holy Spirit intimately. She knew the Spirit very well. And I went to this little Christian school that was part of the church that I grew up in. And so one, uh, we always had Bible classes, and so one of our Bible classes, we had Ola come, and Ola taught the class. And she's this, like, I'm telling you, she's like four foot eight, maybe, German woman, like hobbit woman, you know. And she comes in, and she sits down on the de behind the desk, you know, and like she can barely see over the top, you know, and she opens the Bible and she begins to talk with us. And I do remember, do you remember how in Luke chapter 24 when Jesus is walking along with the disciples along the road to Demaeus and he's opening the scriptures to them and they say later, they say, were not our hearts burning within us while he opened the scriptures to us and spoke to us? And there's some people that when they share, that's what happens, that all of a sudden there's a burning within and when Ola shared, there was a burning within, and I felt it. And I, I can't remember to this day, I can't remember what she said. 
I just remember that she had gravitas, that her words had weight. And so she taught us for a long time. She taught us for about 45 minutes. And then she said, she said, class, I would love it if I could pray for you. Would you mind if I prayed for you? And we all kind of looked at each other, maybe eight or 10 of us in the room. It was just a tiny school. I go, yeah, that'd be fine. And so we get up out of our seats and she comes around from behind the desk and we're all sort of just like lined up in front of her. And I just remember she was like, truly, like I'm in fourth grade. She was shorter than all of us. She was a little woman. <laughs> and I remember Ola going around to each person and um, she laid her hand gently on each person's head. And the moment she did so, whoosh, on the floor. And we called it, back in the day, we called it getting slain in the spirit. And you've maybe seen YouTube videos of people getting slain in the spirit. And, you know, and it's all like manipulative and coercive is what you've seen on YouTube. You know, people like pushing them down. You know, or tripping them or whatever on the way down. And that's a pity that that has happened and that people have manipulated it because that experience is a really beautiful experience. And I remember Ola coming around to me and I remember her laying her hands on me and I, God is my witness, I couldn't have tried to stand up. If I had given all of my effort to it, I wouldn't have been able to do it and whoosh, just down on the floor. And I'll never forget that experience because it was so weighty. And what I experienced in that moment, the best way to describe it was that it was like being submerged in the love of God. It was like being underwater in love. Except you didn't want to get up out of it. And I'm laying there. I remember laying there for 45 minutes. And wave after wave after wave of the love of God washing over. And the scripture says, you know, taste and see that the Lord is good. And there are times that that moves from just being like some kind of theoretical, intellectual idea. Yeah, taste and see, sure, I got it. And it moves into like this experiential reality that does something. It was the love of God just resting on you. And you have those moments. When you experience that, you realize that you're touching the core of life. You're actually experiencing the very thing that you were made for in that moment. Guys, I'm saying to you that to encounter the Holy Spirit is to encounter the love of God in person. That's the primary the experience of the Holy Spirit. And Paul says as much in Ephesians chapter three, his great prayer in Ephesians chapter three and verse 14, he says, for this reason, I'm kneeling before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And he says, I'm praying that out of his glorious power, he may strengthen you with power through how? Through his spirit in your inner being so that what? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And then watch what he does. He says, now I'm praying that you, remember this is all dependent on the work of the Spirit, okay? And I'm praying that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is what? The love of Christ. And to know the love, and I love this little turn of phrase, he says, to know the love that surpasses knowing. And when you touch it, you know it. You're like, I can't actually know this, but I know it. <laughs> you know the love that surpasses knowing. You know, Paul elsewhere talks about like how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Human language could never comprehend or apprehend the whole reality of God. And yet something happens to us when God comes to us that we know it experientially and personally. And we go, I can't, I don't have language to describe what happened to me, but somehow God happened to me. 
And I know the love of God that surpasses all knowing that I may be what? Filled to the measure of the fullness of God. So think about what the Spirit is doing here. The Spirit is mediating to us the reality of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the love of God in person. The Spirit is making space in us to know the love that surpasses all knowing so that, like, here is God's goal for our lives, that we may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. That's what the Holy Spirit does in us. The 12th century monk, Bernard of Clairvaux, put it right like this, thinking about the role of the Holy Spirit in in terms of the Trinity and also in terms of our experience. He says, he's interpreting this as great. It's in his little commentary on the Song of Solomon, that wonderful love poem in the Old Testament, which has been interpreted in so many different ways. And one of the ways that it has sometimes been interpreted is that this is the story of God's relationship with his church. And it's also, Bernard actually interpreted in some ways that it's the story of how God relates to God's self within God's self. And one of the opening lines of the Song of Songs is, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. And Bernard is interpreting that and he says, that if the father is the one who kisses, then the son is the one who is kissed. Then he says, if that's true, it can't be wrong to see in the kiss the Holy Spirit. The father kisses, the son receives the kiss, but that exchange of love that takes place, the itself, that is the Holy Spirit right there. He says, for he is the imperturbable peace of the Father and the Son, their unshakable bond, their undivided love, their indivisible unity. To experience the Holy Spirit is to experience that. The encounter with the spirit of divine love, I wanna say to you tonight, guys, it changes us. It's not just an experience that makes us go, well, that was nice and wonderful and I move on with the rest of our lives. But the experience of the Holy Spirit is actually a saving experience. It's a transforming experience. It makes us a new kind of human being. And not just once, but it does it over and over and over and over again in our lives, which is why we keep coming back to the Spirit because we keep needing transformation. And there are new areas of our lives that we see that are not yet congruent with the kingdom of God. And so we open ourselves up to the Spirit again, and all of a sudden we find that the Spirit brings that unshakable love and indivisible unity of the Father and the Son to us, and we find that the pieces of our lives that were out of line, all of a sudden they're getting lined up again with the reality of God. I can remember some years ago, it was in my first couple years of ministry in Denver, and I remember catching through the grapevine that somebody who I really, um, somebody whose opinion I really expected said something disparaging about me. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that where that kind of thing where like you should be able to, well, you know, Taylor Swift said it best, shake it off. (laughs) And you should be able to, you know, you go, ah, okay, that was annoying and it kind of sort of got me, you know, but I should be able to just get that right off, you know, and a day went by and another day went by and like not only could I not shake it off, but it was like, it felt almost like a poison dart or something. It's like burrowing deep and causing all kinds of havoc. You ever have that happen? You're like, now I like can't, why can't I sleep, you know? And I can't even pray or like think straight. And I got these people in front of me, this ministry that I'm doing that I care about, but now this like shadow has been cast over it and I'm trying to fight through it in prayer and, 
God, what in the world? And I thought, and then the worst of it, you know, is that you're like, I thought I was more spiritually mature than this. And so now I'm all kind of humbled in a weird, just, it was so messing with me. It was like tormenting. And a friend of mine went to a church across town and he, I told, was telling him about it. And he goes, man, he goes, there's this couple that goes to our church and they're really discerning and they're really wise. And they like, they're like skilled in the care of souls. And I, you ought to just go and see them. Just go talk to them. Kind of lay it all out there and just see what they say and what they think and maybe get them to pray for you a little bit. So I did. And I remember sitting down with them and I began just to pour out my heart and talk about what was there and what I'd experienced. And <laughs> you, sometimes when you start talking about a thing, you realize that it's much worse than you realized that it was before you started talking about it. You ever have that happen? And so I start talking to them about this thing that bothered me so. And as I was talking to them, my hands started trembling, like my body started trembling. There was so much anger and fear inside of me and so much confusion. And so I'm sharing all of this with them about how it damaged me and what it meant to me and how could they say this about me? You know, and what does that mean? And like, what's the truth here? Maybe, maybe that disparaging comment that they made, maybe part of the reason that it sticks is that there's part of it that's actually true and that I need to heed it in some way, you know, all those things. And so wisely, so gently, this couple just took all of it and listened to all of it and then began with their wisdom and discernment, began to reshape some things. Andrew, have you ever considered this? And what about this? Well, you know, this is another way to think about it. And we made some good progress with that. It was wonderful. And then I remember they said, Andrew, can we just pray for you? Man, I'm not going to say no to that. And so I got real quiet and still, and I opened my hands like this, and they came up behind me, and they laid their hands on my shoulders, and they began to pray. And the floodgates opened. Like the things that you, sometimes you can't talk it out. Sometimes you just got to cry it out, you know. And that familiar spirit of divine love that I'd experienced when I was in fourth grade, whew, washing over me again and pulling up all of the toxin, all the anger, all the fear, all the self-loathing, all of the doubt. I'm crying and I'm crying and I'm crying. I mean, weeping my eyes out. And I don't know how long that went on, went on for, half an hour, 45 minutes, an hour, an hour and a half. I honestly couldn't say, and they were so patient and so good just to stay in that place and continue to pray for me. And I prayed, or I cried, until I was done crying. And when it was all over, do you know how I felt? If anybody is in Christ, Paul says, that person is a new creation. The old things have passed away. The old everything, all things are new. And that happens by the power of the Holy Spirit that we encounter the spirit and all of those things that had us mired in death and they were killing our lives. All of a sudden, all of that is washed away. Teresa of Avila, 16th century Spanish nun, in one of her beautiful little books where she's talking about the life of prayer, she's talking about the Holy Spirit and she says that the experience of the Holy Spirit does three things to us. Number one, she says that the spirit, when we encounter the divine spirit, the spirit cools you ever been just like burning hot with anger? Do you know that anger is one of the first signs of the reign of hell in our lives? And Paul actually says that. It's one of the first signs of the flesh. Anger, rage, malice, every form of slander. We know that we're being conquered by the kingdom of darkness when there's anger burning in us. And what Teresa of Avila says is that the moment that you come into the presence of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit, the water of the Spirit comes and it cools the fires of those angers, of that anger. 
Spirit cools us. She says, but the Spirit doesn't just cool us. She says, the Spirit also quenches us. If anybody is thirsty, Jesus says, let him come to me and let him drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will gush up from within him. Like, not only when we encounter the Holy Spirit, not only are the, are the deep thirsts of our lives quenched, but the Spirit also wells up inside of us and we become a source of quenching for other people. The Spirit quenches. You ever notice that about the Spirit? That there are times that anger and desire and ambition are raging in you. I want this, I have to have that. And we think that there's some fleshly thing, some created thing that's gonna satisfy us in the innermost. And then we encounter the Holy Spirit. And we're able to say with the psalmist, whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh may fail me. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Or we're able to say with the psalmist, because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. That when we have the Holy Spirit, we have everything. The deep thirsts of our lives are quenched. The Spirit cools, the Spirit quenches. But then she also says that the Spirit cleanses us. And we come in bearing our guilt and our shame and self-loathing all the hatred that's piled upon us for the things that we've done or things that other people have said about us. And then the spirit falls upon us. And all of a sudden, we're made new and we're not carrying those things anymore. I've experienced that personally. I have seen it in the lives of countless people. The encounter with the Holy Spirit that changes. I remember here at New Life Friday night several years ago, there's a guy that started coming to Friday night during the run-up to Easter, so during Lent. And he came and he approached me and Daniel after the, after the service one Friday night. And he said, hi. He said, my name is Mark. He said, I've been coming to this church for a few weeks and I gotta tell you my story. And he began to spill the beans on his story. He goes, I was not born and raised in church. I don't, I don't actually know what's happening here. <laughs> he said, so all of this is like new to me. All of this is foreign to me. He says, I was actually born and raised in California, and when I was in my 20s, I started this business with a close friend of mine, and we built it from the ground up, and it was an incredibly successful multi-multi-million dollar business, and we were riding high on the hog. He said, and I got married in my 20s, and we started having kids, and I just thought, I felt like I had everything. It was all going for me. He said, and in my, in my 30s, my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer. And we went into this long, long battle with it. And the battle took years, and it was very distracting for me. I'd have like months, weeks, and sometimes months where I had to attend to her, and I couldn't really attend to the business. And my friend kept telling me, you know, like, hey, attend to your family, bro. It's all good. I've got your back. You know, I'll hold down the fort over here, and you take care of your family over there, and it's all good. And he said, and so I did that, and I attended to my wife. And he said, it was just so awful, the way that the cancer spread throughout her body and gobbled up who she was and she eventually succumbed to it. He said that those years of battling that with her, they were brutal. He said, I remember just getting through the grieving, like burying my wife. And then I went back to my business. And my business partner, who supposedly was holding down the fort for me, had actually schemed to cut me out of the business altogether. And I went back to this thing that I thought was a place of security. And all of a sudden, not only have I lost my marriage, but I lost this thing that was my security, my business that I built. And I also lost my best friend. Boom, boom, boom. One after another. And he said, and I started doing what people do. I started self-medicating. 
alcohol and drugs, and I didn't want to face the grief. I didn't want to face the ache. I didn't want, I just buried it. I'm going to find some way to like be okay. And then he said, it just got to be too much to be out in California. So I moved here to Colorado and I'm living up here in Monument. He said, and I don't even know. I just wandered in. I came in to a service here one Friday night, three weeks ago. He said, I'm sitting in the back over there and worship is happening and you guys are preaching. He said, and I'm feeling things that I haven't felt in years. At that point, it had been seven or eight years since his wife died. Because I'm feeling things I haven't felt in years. I'm touching emotions that I haven't touched in years. He said, and I'm sitting in the back there and I'm weeping every service. And then he said, I'll never forget this. He looked at both of us and he goes, and I don't know what's happening to me. I know what's happening to you. You're encountering the Holy Spirit. You're being touched by the Holy Spirit. The anger, the bitterness, the rage, the regrets. All of that is being sanctified. It's being cleansed and you're being made a new creation. And that man gave his life to Jesus and started coming to this church. I've said it before in this message, earlier in this message, but I'll say it again tonight, that we are invited to have our lives continually renewed by the spirit who proceeds from the Father and the Son. It's not just a one-off experience. This is the inheritance of the people of God, that the Spirit has been given to them. Jesus says that when the Son gives the Spirit, he gives it without limit. Do you know what that means? That means that when the Son pours the Spirit upon us, he doesn't take it back. But the son pours the spirit on his people and he just keeps on pouring. And he pours and he pours and he pours and he pours until the whole face of the earth is renewed and the kingdom has come. That's our inheritance. Pentecost isn't a one-off experience. Pentecost is a moment that we step into that takes us into the new creation that God is giving to us even now, which is why Paul says, In Ephesians chapter 5, he says, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be what? Filled. Greek scholars will say that what he's saying there is actually be being filled with the Spirit. That you just keep coming back. Say, how much of the Spirit can I drink? As much as you want, baby. (laughs) Bottoms up. This is the gift of God for his people. And there's nothing scary and there's nothing weird in the Holy Spirit. But all that the Spirit is is the love of God poured out for us that changes our lives. The 7th century saint Isaac the Syrian said that love rather than food and drink is sufficient to nourish a man. And this, the love of God, he says, is the wine which maketh glad the heart of men. Blessed is the one who partakes of this wine. Licentious men have drunk it and become chaste. Sinners have drunk it and have forgotten their pathways of stumbling. Drunkards have drunk this wine and become fasters. The rich have drunk it and desired poverty. The poor have drunk it and been enriched with hope. The sick have drunk it and become strong. And the unlearned have taken it, and they have become wise. What are you hungry for tonight? What do you need? What are you thirsty for?
What is the deep ache of your life? What is the sin and sorrow and pain and suffering that you're carrying? The spirit has been given to you to renew your life. And you know what I think the saddest thing is in the church? The saddest thing is that God has given the best gift that he could ever give to us. The gift of himself poured out upon us, the love of God that cleanses and renews us, and we forget to access it. We just sit in it. C.S. Lewis had this great thing once where he said that we're offered a holiday by the sea, but we're like children making mud pies in the slums. He says we're far too easily pleased. So what we do is we just hang on to our anger and we hang on to our fear. We hang on to our desires and we hang on to our shame and we hang on to our self-loathing or just out of pure laziness, we go, yeah, yeah, the Holy Spirit, but like whatever. And I'm saying to you, the choice is yours and God is not barring the gates. What God is doing is spreading the lavish feast of the Spirit in front of us and he's asking us, do you want it? Taste and see that the Lord is good. I'm right here for you. What's the thing that you need? The Spirit has been given to you. Can we stand tonight in the presence of the Spirit? And now church, would you lift your hands like this? Open them wide. If you're hungry, if you're thirsty, if you're in need, if you have pain, if there's shame attached to you, if there's guilt attached to you, if there's sin and sorrow and suffering that are clinging to you, you got guilt for things that you've done that you haven't confessed, welcome to the moment, tell them now. Just begin to say it, create in me a clean heart, oh God. Renew a steadfast spirit in me. Or things, have things been said to you or done to you that have scrambled your sense of self-identity? got you all messed up inside. Receive the Spirit, friends. The Spirit who reminds you that you're a son and a daughter of the living God. The Spirit who puts the Abba cry on your lips. The Spirit who's a pledge guaranteeing that you got a future in God. Receive the Spirit tonight, friends. I don't know what you need, but receive the Spirit. There's some of you that are here tonight, you've never tasted the goodness of the Lord. Right now, I'm saying to you, receive the Spirit. Receive the Spirit who allows you to call Jesus Lord who allows you to repent, who opens the gates of the kingdom of God to you. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let him who is thirsty, come. Let him take and drink of the free gift of the water of life. And so we say, come. Spirit, come. Spirit, come. Let's respond in worship together.
grab our elements. Spirit tonight, Spirit who invites us to taste and see that the Lord is good, the Spirit who comes to us as the love of God in person, the Holy Spirit is in our midst now and He is giving us bread and cup as signs of the new covenant and pledges, tokens of that moment when we will feast at the table of love in the kingdom of God. And so the Lord Jesus, love and flesh, on the night that he was betrayed, after he'd given thanks, he took the bread, friends, and he broke it. Can you break the bread with me? And he gave it to his disciples and he said, take this, all of you, and eat. This is my body. It's broken for you. Do this whenever you take it in remembrance of me. Can we take the bread together? And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, drink from this, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for many for the remission of sins. Do it whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Brothers and sisters, whoever is thirsty, let him come. Let's drink the cup of salvation together. like this. We've been in God's presence tonight. Amen. Come on. Brothers and sisters, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Friends, receive the Holy Spirit tonight. Drink deep. Taste and see and know that the Lord is good. It has been good to worship with you tonight, Friday night. Can we give God praise one more time this evening? Grace, mercy, and peace be with you. You are loved. We'll see you real soon. Have a great night.